Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode two of Believe in Rangers, a New York Rangers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Johnny Lazarus, and we've got a great show for you today talking about Adam Fox for the Norris Trophy, the Rangers' playoff hopes still being alive, the schedule for this coming week, other teams to watch around the NHL, Zach Jones' first impression, and on top of that, we got an interview with Kenny Albert, who's one of the best sports broadcasters out there and the voice of the Rangers Radio Network. We've got that, and we've got a lot more, so stay tuned, and let's get started. It's a hat trick for Mika Zibanejad! Kako shoots, he scores! Kako, Kako! Let's go Rangers! Let's go Rangers! I'm just going to go ahead and say what all Ranger fans are thinking. Adam Fox is the best defenseman in the NHL. And I know we might have been saying this as a joke, not necessarily a joke, but not as serious a couple months ago. But now I think the NHL, the entire league, fans everywhere have started to take notice of how good Foxy really is. I mean, I'm lucky that I've known him my entire life and I've played with him and I've got to watch him grow at every single level. And for me, it's not necessarily a surprise to see all the success he's having. I mean, I I, got to be honest and say, I don't know if I expected him to do well or do this well this soon in his NHL career, but but what he's doing in year two is seriously just ridiculous. I mean, we're talking about a kid who two years ago was playing Division One college hockey, wasn't sure if he was going to make an NHL roster, and now we're fast forward two years later, we're talking about him winning the Norris Trophy. It, it just it blows my mind more so because I know him and I've watched him, but also just because it's crazy to think that Division One hockey, how much it's grown over the years. I mean, another guy that we're talking about for the Norris is Cal McCard, last year's Rookie of the Year, the Calder Trophy, and he's in discussion for the Norris Trophy this year. Also, it's just crazy to see these NCAA Division One hockey players coming into the NHL and the success they're having right away. I think it speaks volumes to college hockey. And yes, I will throw another weird brag out there that I am friends with Cal. I played with Cal in college, and. Another guy in the argument for the Norris that we're going to talk about is John Carlson, Victor Hedman. I mean, these are the four guys that have been in the discussion the entire year. You can throw in Shea Theodore, but I think Adam Fox winning the Norris Trophy is really not that ridiculous of a statement. And he now leads the NHL defenseman in points and assists. And the one knock you can make on him is that, yeah, he hasn't scored that many goals. I mean, five goals is a lot. But when you look at a guy like John Carlson, who probably runs the point of the best power play in the entire NHL, I mean, the Capitals power play, in my mind, I don't know the statistics, but it's second to none with Ovechkin, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Tom Wilson. I mean, they are just stacked. But 10 goals is definitely hard to argue with. And then Kale McCarr is the only defenseman who is above a point a game. And that's a tough argument as well for Adam because being above a point a game as a defenseman in the NHL is not very common. I don't know how many defensemen have done it in years past, but Kale is obviously a very special talent. And a lot of people do ask me about the comparison between Kale and Adam Fox. And I think the biggest difference between these two defensemen is Adam's ability to set up his teammates is 
the best thing about his game. And I think everyone knew that coming into his NHL career was that he's going to be a power play specialist. He'll get a lot of points in the power play, which he has done. And his biggest weakness was his defensive game. But as we've seen as of late, he's been very good defensively. And I think that's a huge argument for the Norris conversation. And then you look at a guy like Kale McCarr, who probably is a better skater, a little stronger, and maybe more skilled than Adam. When you look at him, you know, when you watch him play one-on-one, I would take Kale playing in a game of one-on-one over Adam probably, you know, simply because of skating ability. But Kale's game is different because Kale is able to create scoring chances for himself. I mean, he does set up his teammates and he's very good at it, but I think Adam Fox is the best playmaker in the entire NHL. He is the definition of like what a point guard is in the NBA. I, I look at Adam Fox and I think of, you know, like a Jason Kidd, a Jason Williams, just the elite point guards that, you know, draw guys to them and dish off to their teammates and let their teammates do all the, the finishing. And I think that's what everyone else is starting to recognize. I mean, just once again, just growing up with Adam, I mean, everyone has always said it. He's always had the best hockey IQ out of any player that's ever been on the ice. No matter what ice he steps on, he's the smartest guy out there. I, I don't know what it is about him, but that's just what his game has been always. And to see him do it at the NHL level has been such a pleasure to watch and so much fun to watch every single night. And I really think the Norris right now is his to lose. I, I don't see Victor Hedman, John Carlson, or Kale McCarr really stealing that from him if he continues to play this way. He's he got three assists last night. He's getting multi-point games pretty much every game or every other game. Um he's just been on fire and I think if the Rangers can continue to win, the Norris Trophy's Adams in his second year in the NHL, which is so ridiculous. But then again, it's not surprising. He's done it at every level and he's going to continue to do it through his NHL career. So I don't want to talk too much about this. I do want to talk about the Rangers playoff hopes. They currently sit four points behind the Boston Bruins and the Bruins actually, or the Rangers actually got a lot of help from the Buffalo Sabres who we beat last night. The Sabres came out and beat the Bruins a couple nights ago in Buffalo. But I do want to talk about the Bruins upcoming schedule this coming week. They are playing the Pittsburgh Penguins on Tuesday night, the Buffalo Sabres again on Thursday night and Buffalo again on Saturday. So that doesn't really play in our favor because they should beat Buffalo both of those games. But if Pittsburgh can take another game from the Bruins, that would be huge, especially for the Rangers playoff hopes. This coming week for the Rangers, they play Buffalo again on Tuesday, the Islanders on Thursday, which should be a tough game, and the Islanders again on Saturday. So these are going to be two tough games against the Islanders for the Rangers. As we saw last time, the Rangers did not put up their best effort against the Islanders. They kind of laid an egg on Long Island and lost 6-1. to so these are going to be playoff type atmosphere games that I imagine on Thursday and on Saturday against the Islanders. I mean, these are games that the Rangers just cannot afford to lose. They don't necessarily have to win out the rest of the year, but every single point matters at this point in the season. So I'm very excited for those games on Thursday and Saturday. I will be tuned in watching the Rangers and Islanders. Um, hopefully Boston can blow a game against Buffalo. That would be huge. But once again, I'm not concerned about the Rangers if they continue to play this way and and the craziest thing about this entire thing is that the season comes down to two games against Boston. And if anyone remembers the 2010 season, we played Philadelphia two games in a row to get into the playoffs. And it came down to that shootout where Ole Jokinen had a terrible five-hole attempt in the shootout. And the Rangers ended up losing and not going to the playoffs. And the Flyers went to the Stanley Cup final. But those last two games against the Bruins are going to be exactly the same type of scenario that it was against the Philadelphia Flyers in 2010. I, I mean, hopefully it stays that way. And, and you know, if the Rangers can keep it close enough for those games to matter. But one game at a time, that's all the Rangers can do right now is worry about what they can control. And, you know, they control their own destiny. I think whatever happens to Boston, you know, if Boston wins out, they were the better team. They deserve it. But 
right now all the Rangers can do is worry about themselves and worry about their own game. So those are some of the things to watch this upcoming week. I do want to go into the interview with Kenny Albert. I think you guys really love it. We had a great time. We actually talked after the Islander game this past week, so it might be a little bit outdated, but nothing too crazy. I hope you guys enjoy it. I am very excited to be joined by a man who needs no introduction. You've heard him on the Rangers Radio Network, and you've seen him on NBCSN. Welcome to the show, my good friend, Kenny Albert. Kenny, how's it going? Great, Johnny. Good to be with you again. Uh, we haven't spoken on a podcast or on an interview since the summer mm-hmm. when I was in the NHL bubble, so uh, great to see you again. Yeah, always a pleasure. I know we've been texting back and forth a little bit, but, I mean, just right off the bat, do you ever get any sleep? You know, this year is a lot different <laughs> uh, because we're, not, we're hardly traveling, so... Mm-hmm. Even the away games uh, were broadcasting out of a studio for the most part. So I don't think I've ever gotten as much sleep as I have over the last year, to be honest, with no late night flights, no early morning flights, uh, no quick nights in hotels. So from that standpoint, it's been somewhat relaxing this year. Mm -hmm. Can you touch on that a little bit, like what your day to day is like right now? I mean, are you just sitting in that chair for 12 hours doing Zooms and then you're headed off to the studio? Pretty much. It seems like (laughs) a day this year. Um, with the Rangers, for example, uh, and the Knicks, I work about 20 to 25 Knicks games per season as well. We're broadcasting all of the home games from MSG, from the arena. So that hasn't changed much from uh, pre-pandemic. But all of the away games uh, we're doing out of a studio in Manhattan for the Rangers radio when they're on the road. I'm with Dave Maloney at the ESPN radio studios on 68th and Columbus. When I work a Knicks away game, we're across the street from MSG. Uh, on 32nd and 7th Avenue in the MSG Network Studios, calling the games off monitors. So it's a lot different. Uh, There are certain things you might miss initially. If there's a penalty called off the screen, you might not see it right away. If the goalie's pulled, you might not see it. You're really relying on whatever the camera is showing the viewers at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, As we taped this last night, I worked the Rangers-Islanders game which was played on Long Island, but we were in Manhattan in the radio studio. So it's definitely um, a little surreal and bizarre uh, not being at the games, but due to all the health and safety protocols, that's how it's been this year, at least. And then when I work NBCSN games or NBC games, occasionally for the big games on weekends, we are in the arena and there has been a little bit of traveling, but uh, for most of the games, we're up in Stamford, Connecticut in the studio. I was in Stamford on Monday working a Detroit Dallas game. I'll be up there tonight for a San Jose Vegas game. So there really hasn't been a lot of travel and uh, the day, the days are pretty similar. Uh, For example, this morning um, I was already listening to a couple of zooms with coaches Uh, yesterday, David Quinn and Barry Trotz held their zoom meetings with the media Um, in a little while because it's a West coast game. I'll listen into Pete DeBoer and Bob Bugner, the head coaches of San Jose and Vegas. So, during the day, I pretty much am in this chair for, mm-hmm. for a number of hours, uh, getting my work done, watching Zooms, watching other games, and doing a lot of reading. So uh, this has really been the home spot uh, for the last couple of months. And you touched on it briefly just about last night's game, how you worked in the studio for the Islanders game in the Coliseum. But just as a fan, and for me, I know it's so weird still. I mean, it's been a year almost without fans, and it's still so weird to me watching a Rangers-Islander game in the Coliseum with, with nobody really in it. I mean, to me, I mean, I'm, I'm probably biased because we're both New Yorkers here and you'll probably be a little biased too, but I don't think there's any better atmosphere than a Ranger Islander game in Nassau Coliseum. No, I agree. Uh, both at the Garden and the Coliseum when the Rangers and Islanders get together, it's it's tremendous. And I've been attending those games a lot longer than you. I, mm-hmm. I remember games in the late 70s and that 79 playoff series and then 
in the early 80s at Nassau Coliseum. I was at game five in 84, uh, which is uh, thought to be one of the greatest games played all time. Is that Ken Morrow? History of the NHL. Unfortunately, from a Ranger standpoint, Mm -hmm. it went the wrong way, but it was just a terrific hockey game. And it culminated with the, the Ken Morrow goal in overtime. You know, I've talked about this a lot with Dave Maloney, my partner on the radio, and he played in all of those series, 79 through 84, uh, all of the Ranger Islander playoff series. And the Rangers were the, the second or third best team in the league many of those years, but they just couldn't get past the Islanders in the 80s. Now, they beat them in 79 to get to the Stanley Cup final against Montreal, but it was terrific hockey, and it's a shame they haven't played in the playoffs since 94. It's been 27 years. Um, but the atmosphere is tremendous, and it, it's great that there are some fans in the building now. It's 10%, so it's 1,800 in the Garden. I'm not sure what the exact number is in the Coliseum, but um, you know, I look forward to the next couple of weeks when there are more fans in the building. I think it's going up to 25%, and can't wait for next year. I know the Islanders are moving into a new building at Belmont, and from everything I've heard and read, it, it should be a, a, a tremendous arena, so it'll be a fun way to continue the rivalry uh, with the Islanders in a third different building. And with fans now back in the building, are you starting to get those pregame jitters a little bit more again? Or, I mean, did you have them still when there were no fans? Or, you know, what's your pregame? It, it was so much different with no fans. I called all of those games in Edmonton in the bubble with no fans. So that was bizarre. I was about 20 rows up. And I think we talked about this previously. Mm-hmm. A couple of the referees told me they could actually hear the play by play during the game because there was nobody in the building. And they would play the music during breaks, but not necessarily while the game was going on. Um, Early in the season, calling so many games in the garden in an empty building, it was strange looking down at the tarp over the lower level seats. Uh, But then when the fans were allowed in a little over a month ago, um, you know, they've been great. They've been loud. It sounds a lot louder than 1800. And it does give it uh, a little bit of an atmosphere, especially for us, because you don't want to feel like you're calling a game in a phone booth in an empty building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our folks on the production side do a great job with the effects, uh, some of the sounds you know coming from the ice the sticks the pucks hitting the boards but it's not the same as when there are fans in the building well it definitely affects your job as well too because i know normally on a typical night when you're calling the game from the booth if the home team scores you just kind of let the fans noise take over but now you have to talk over it a little bit since it's a little bit quieter than normal exactly especially on the tv side when a goal is scored by the home team you kind of let it breathe a little bit and and uh you, you let the viewers you know soak in the the sights and the sounds and the crowd but that's not the case when, when there's nobody in the building. Um, you know, another thing I found, occasionally when a goal is scored and, and it, it goes in and out real quick or, you know, it bounces off the, the inside of the, the post or the stanchion, you know, sometimes you rely on the fan reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, when there's nobody in the building and the puck goes in and out so quickly, occasionally we had a pause for about a half second just to make sure the team started to celebrate because – uh, oftentimes you do rely on the fans that are sitting behind the net who have a perfect view of whether or not the puck went in. I'm sure that's affected the players too. I mean, sometimes they shoot the puck and they have no idea it goes in. Right. We've seen that. <laughs> yeah. The play continues for a couple of seconds when mm-hmm. they're not exactly sure. One of the funniest things too, this is kind of off topic, but I remember seeing a goal early this year in Ottawa. I think it was a Buffalo Sabres defenseman. Obviously Buffalo's had a terrible year, but Ottawa scored a goal and there was no noise and the Buffalo defenseman started playing with the puck. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy has no idea that they just scored. <laughs> a couple of occasions this yeah. year. I that remember was... Gauthier of the Rangers scored what I think was his first NHL goal this year at the garden. And it went in and out so quick that uh, there was some confusion for a couple of seconds on that one as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that stuff's so funny, and I, I do want to talk about something that we've we've texted about before that I've actually never really discussed with you. You know, face to face, voice to voice, whatever you want to call it. But as someone who works in the NFL, like yourself, and I know I mentioned this idea on Twitter, but an NHL Red Zone channel. I know you were kind of on board. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a petition. Do I have your signature as the first one? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's probably a little different in the NHL because in the NFL, uh, the red zone is obviously from the 20 yard line in. So you can switch to those games. But I guess maybe it could be an NHL power play channel, right? That, that's what I was saying. NHL Ozone. NHL Ozone. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm the first signature on the petition. I love that. Well, I was thinking because the, uh, the best thing about the red zone is that the NFL owns the entire day. If the NHL just had like eight to 10 games on a Saturday throughout the entire course of the day. And that was the best part about the bubble was there was hockey on all day. And if there was one channel to watch McDavid, Kane, all these guys in the power play, like at the same time, I mean, what fan wouldn't want that? I love the idea. When I was in the, in my quarantine in the bubble, my first four days, it was the qualifying rounds. There were games on all day. So Mm -hmm. when asked me, what'd you do in the hotel room for four days? I was able to watch hockey from 10 in the morning, mountain time in Edmonton until midnight. There were games on all day. So uh, that filled the time during the four-day quarantine. But, um, you know, as far as a, a red zone type channel, you know, it's funny. I've, I've only seen the red zone on a couple of occasions because I'm usually working on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a couple of weeks where maybe I worked a Saturday game. Um, this year I had to sit two games when I first came back from the bubble. So uh, I've only seen the red zone channel a couple of times, but I hear all about it. You know, people text me that they heard my particular game on the red zone channel. I don't think, I don't think people, unless you're a rabid fan of a team, sit there and watch just one game on a Sunday. You're switching around. You're watching the Red Zone channel. So uh, whoever came up with the concept, it was terrific. And uh, I'll give you total credit for the NHL Ozone channel idea. It was actually my dad, but I'm going to take credit for it because he doesn't tweet. (laughs) But well, well, speaking of that, too, and and something that other sports – have in common that hockey is kind of steered away from or just the only one that's different is something that we've seen this week with Zach Jones, how college players can get drafted and play through college. And then when they're ready to sign with their NHL team, they can just join them right away. And I think that would be so cool if other sports kind of, you know, followed that lead. Like, I think it would have been incredible if let's say Zion Williamson was drafted by the Pelicans and he sat out his, his rookie year because he got hurt. So if he could have played at Duke maybe, and then joined the Pelicans later on in that year. But, um, you know, I don't want to talk about basketball or any other sport too much, but what have you seen from Zach Jones so far? Have you talked to him? I know we haven't seen him play yet. Um, you know, what are your thoughts early on? Right. That's the difference between football and basketball. Their players aren't drafted until they leave college hockey. Uh, as you know, you get drafted and then the team holds your rights for X number of years. Unfortunately, um, we can't go to practice this year just due to the protocols, the health and safety protocols. Uh, we do have the ability to watch it on a stream, but it's it's a little different, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to focus on one player on a on a computer. So, haven't seen him. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, positive reports. Um, I know the coach David Quinn's been asked about him, and he's talked about how uh, he's a terrific skater, how he's so smart on the ice, and he's been practicing with the team now for a week. I've heard other players. Uh, Brendan Smith was asked about him yesterday and he had a lot of great things to say. Um, you know, we'll see if, uh, he gets an opportunity in the lineup at some point soon. Uh, now with the Jacob Truba injury, uh, not sure exactly what the prognosis is. Anthony Potato has been in the lineup the last two games. Libor Hayek's been a scratch. Um, but not sure how things will change if Truba is unable to play in the games against the Flyers, uh, the next couple of days. So 
you know, I know you and Zach Jones have something in common with uh, your alma mater, and he had a great year um, winning the national championship at UMass. I did watch his Zoom interview uh, with the media a couple of days ago, and he was asked about the decision to leave, and he said winning the championship definitely played a part uh, in, in perhaps changing his mind. So um, I've heard great things. I've talked to uh, uh, Pierre McGuire and Dave Starman, who have seen him play at the collegiate level, and Colby Cohen and a couple of other folks. and. Uh, they all had great things to say about him as a player and look forward to seeing him in a Ranger uniform. Yeah, I'm so excited to watch him, especially him and Foxy on the blue line together, like the way that they play and see the ice. I think it's going to be so much fun to watch. I mean, watching watching Adam Fox over this season, um, he's just made such incredible strides. Um, you know, came in as a rookie last year, had a, had a really good year in his first season, but has elevated himself this year into the Norris Trophy conversation mm-hmm. uh, among the league leaders in scoring, among defensemen. He plays 22, 23, 24 minutes a game on the first pairing. He and Ryan Lindgren have meshed really well together. And I know they played together in the U.S. National Development Program. And David Quinn had a really interesting comment about a week or two ago when he was asked about Fox and Lindgren. He said they're starting to take over some of each other's characteristics. (laughs) Has become a little bit more of an offensive uh, threat. He only has the one goal this year, Mm -hmm. but he, he has a bunch of assists and he's played well offensively. And he said, Fox, Adam Fox is picking up some of that grit and some of the other stuff that Ryan Lindgren does. So he said they're kind of meshing into each other's bodies and personalities uh, by having played together uh, over the last two seasons. Yeah, no, I noticed that in Philly when Adam like hopped in the empty net and, bl- and blocked three shots from, right. I think it was Voracek. Incredible sequence. Yeah, that was insane. I, I, a lot of people on Rangers Twitter were saying like Fox for Vezina. That was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he suffered as many cuts on his face as Ryan Lindgren has though. Oh my God, Ryan, every, every time you look at Ryan Linger and every time he's on the camera, he's got a black eye bleeding, something's going on with him. I love the emoji. Keith Kincaid, another Long Island native mm-hmm. uh, of the Rangers goaltenders. He started this when he was with the Devils. I don't know if you've seen it. And then when he went to Montreal, um, he has an emoji for each teammate. Mm-hmm. Comes up with uh, one for each of his teammates. And after the wins, he'll uh, put out on social media, on Twitter, uh, a recap of the game using the emojis. And Ryan Lindgren's emoji is a face with a bandage uh, <laughs> through his eye. So it's it's a uh, it's it's pretty fun after the Ranger wins to uh, wait for Keith Kincaid's game recap. That is very fitting. And, and you did say that Kincaid's from Long Island, Batetto's from Long Island, Foxy's from Long Island. I mean, is this? The, I mean, I I don't know the stat, but is this the first time that the Rangers have had three kids, like local kids, on the team? So so as soon as uh, Batetto was called up, um, obviously Fox played with the Rangers last year, and then Kincaid came in. I put together a list, with, and I have it right in front of me. <laughs> Perfect. With the help of Mike Rappaport, who does a tremendous job with the, with the Rangers in their communications department, uh, we actually compiled the list as I thumb through my uh, my book here that I have with me uh, for every game and every broadcast. Mm-hmm. And I think the number was 18 uh, Rangers from the New York area, uh, from New York City, Long Island, Westchester, uh, Northern Jersey, and Connecticut. And from Long Island, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine in history. Wow. And three on the team right now with Fox, Potato, and Kincaid. So uh, let's see how good you are. Can you? <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> how many of the nine can you name? We already have three. Oh, I thought you meant me as a player. I was like, my playing career is done. I'm not joining the team. <laughs> oh, no. How many can you name? Rangers, Rangers um, in history from Long Island. Okay. I'm going to, I think one might be Buzz the Champs. Is he on there? I know Buzz. He never played for the Rangers, but he was around a lot. He played for the Long Island Ducks. He was, he was always drafted, around. though. 
drafted. was always around the garden. He was drafted. Buzz is a terrific guy. But these are actually players who played in a regular season game for the okay. Rangers. So well, Brian Mullen. Well, he's New York City. Yep, he's on the. New oh, York. this is Long Island, strictly. We're saying. Well, I have both lists in front of okay. me. Okay. So New York City, you have you have Brian Mullen, Nick Nick Petiu, mm-hmm. uh Jim Pavese, and Matthew Snyder. Okay. The four Rangers born in New York City in one of the boroughs from Long Island. Wait, three- I got one. I got one. All right, Long Island, Matt Gilroy. Matt Gilroy, exactly. He's one. Yep. Um, was Chris Higgins a Ranger? Chris Higgins was a Ranger, and Skid- then you had, you had one of them that played a couple of years ago after the team sent out that letter in 2018. He was acquired from the Bruins. Um, in that Rick Nash deal with Lindgren and with the draft pick, played briefly with the Rangers. Camper? Uh, Camper's not from Long Island. Oh, no, no. He was on the team right around the same time. Uh, he played for Yale, if that helps. Oh, oh, uh, O'Gara, Rob O'Gara. Rob O'Gara. Yep. Oh, I and then you had, you had twins back in the in the late nineties. Oh, brothers. the Ferraro brothers. Okay. So you got you got all of them except. There was a, a goalie by the name of Joe Schaefer back in the 1950s. Yeah, I would have got that. <laughs> he was a statistician at the Garden, and mm-hmm. he came in as an emergency goalie. So you, would, you wouldn't know him. But the nine Rangers from Long Island, Joe Schaefer, Chris Higgins, Matt Gilroy, Chris and Peter Ferraro, Rob O'Gara, Adam Fox, Anthony Potato, Keith Kincaid. Mm-hmm. I'll, ta- I'll take eight out of nine. I'll take that. Pretty good list. And we're gonna, we started a rumor last episode with Molly that we're going to get Charlie McAvoy to the Rangers, so he'll be number 10. Well, I'm sure Ranger fans would appreciate that at some point in the future. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I actually – I do want to ask you because you did touch on Foxy a little bit and Lingren, but who's impressed you the most on the team this year? Is it one of those, you'd say? Well, wow. um, there's probably a couple of guys. Uh, obviously, what, what Adam Fox has done, uh, very, very impressed, you know, watching him throughout the entire season. I think Pavel Buchnevich has probably been the guy that stood out as far as uh, making – taking major steps um, each and every year. And especially this year, um, he, he has 19 goals. He's penalty killed, which he had never done before. He's out there on the power play. He's, you know, just played such a strong all around game. So uh, he's been very impressive. Obviously what Artemi Panarin continues to do. Um, I think he has eight, three point games at home mm-hmm. in 16 games at the garden. So in half of his home games, he scored at least three points. So uh, continuing to watch the magic that, he brings onto the ice on a daily basis. Um, Mika Zibanejad obviously got off to a slow start, but his two six-point games were unbelievable. You know, I think back to the five goals he scored in the game against Washington last year, and then two more, you know, Hall of Fame-type games. If you just look at the games individually, uh, that game at the Garden, the nine-nothing win, and then he had six points in the eight-three game in Philly. Um, so over the last month. You look at Zibanejad, Buchnevich, Fox, Panarin, they're all right at the top of the NHL uh, leaders during during the last month to five weeks. Ryan Strom's had a really good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a guy that has played with Panarin for the most part over the last two seasons. And even when Panarin was out, Strom's numbers were still right there. Um, I know last week he was in the top 25 in the league in scoring at one point. So uh, Keandre Miller's another guy who's sort He's of got the radar a little bit because of what, what Fox and Lindgren have been able to do. Um, I think Truba has been a great partner for Miller. He's come in, you know, as a rookie out of the university of Wisconsin and just looks confident. He has the long reach. He's a great skater. So I would have to put him on the, on the list as well as, uh, you know, of players who have really impressed this year for the Rangers. I was also going to say too, I think when Jones gets in the lineup, depending on who that six D or seventh D is, I think the Rangers might be the 
like first team to ever address an all division one defensive core. You know, I was thinking about that recently. Um, you know, they also earlier this season, I think had a, a game or two in which they dressed all American born defensemen uh-huh. as well. So uh, there's a couple of things we can look at there. And, you know, the kids continue to develop. Uh, they're all playing on the same line now, Lafreniere, Kako, and Heedle. Um, Heedle got off to a really good start. Then he suffered the hand injury, so he missed about four or five weeks. You know, it's such a tough year to judge some of these young guys. Lafreniere, for example, doesn't play for 10 months during the pandemic. There's no summer camp. There's no training camp. There are no preseason games. He's 19 years old. Um, Kako, I thought, when he came back for the bubble for the three playoff games against Carolina, you could tell that he made a major step when he went back home for a couple of months to Finland. He came back bigger and stronger. I think, especially lately, he's looked really good, strong on the puck. He has some points, some goals. So, uh, again, I've referenced Dave Maloney a couple of times, my partner who played a decade in the league. He was the captain of the Rangers. And he always, you know, it's been ingrained in my head from Dave for the last 15 years, having worked with him. You have to give young kids time. It takes time, you know, whether it's time in the minor leagues, time in junior hockey, time back in their home country. Um, not everybody is Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Alec Ovechkin, or Austin Matthews. It's not that easy to step in right away. So you look at some players, it's, it takes two to three years. A guy like Joe Thornton, Mark Messier, look back at their numbers as 18, 19 year olds, and uh, they struggled, you know, offensively. And it, it took them a couple of years and had Hall of Fame careers, obviously, but. I think it's been a good year for development for these guys. Um, it's such a different year. The team doesn't practice a lot due to, due to the protocols. Uh, David Quinn said yesterday, so much of what we teach is on video. So um, I think as far as development, it's been a great year. Uh, we'll see what happens over these next 10 games and then uh, full speed ahead next season. I've loved watching Lafreniere, but I also am terrified of when there's a packed garden and there's you know, thousands of drunk dudes in the blue seats yelling at him to shoot the puck and how he reacts. <laughs> oh, again, he's 19, he's <laughs> a lot of confidence. And uh, again, I think for all of those guys, it was a, it was a good year as far as the development. And uh, Kravtsov's look really good, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's played about eight or nine games. He has uh, a goal, a couple of assists, but he looks confident. He's a good skater, strong with the puck. And again, he's a little older. He's 22. Mm-hmm. Played a couple of years in the KHL, played in Hartford last year. So has that professional experience over the last two seasons. Yeah, he's so smooth. He's, he's a lot of fun to watch. I've been trying to think of a comparison for him, but I, I can't really... You know, it's funny you mention that because we talked about this on the air recently. Gordy Clark, who's one of the Ranger head scouts, uh, who saw Kravtsov a lot in Russia, when they drafted him, his comparison for Kravtsov, based on what he did in Russia as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, was Kuznetsov from Washington. That's the guy the Rangers. Compared. I see that. Mm-hmm. I see that. And it's, it's, it's funny how they do that. We'll see how that continues to develop, but mm-hmm. uh, that's the guy the Rangers scouts compared him to as a young player. It is funny how that works too. I feel like always in hockey scouts compare the Swedish kid to a Swedish right. player and the Russian kid to a Russian right. player. Right. And when Kako was drafted, I know Svechnikov was the comparison yeah. um, in Carolina. So, and he's having a, 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 you know, he's had a real good last two seasons. Oh yeah. He's been, I mean, the only the only bad thing he's had was getting knocked out by Ovechkin, but he's been a lot, he's been a lot of fun to watch that kid too. But but I guess this might be a tough question to ask you. But you're in David Quinn's shoes for a game. What kind of changes are you making behind the bench? Anything or leave it the way it is? Well, I mean, I, I think he's he's the perfect coach for this team uh, for a young developing team. He has such a, a terrific demeanor as far as how he handles the players, how he handles the media. 
Um, I'm not going to put myself in the coach's shoes. He's I, got, I <laughs> got a tough enough job. Um, you know, we've seen him switch guys around. Um, you know, Colin Blackwell has been a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit older. He's bounced around a little bit in the minor leagues with Nashville out of Harvard. Not sure if you played against him, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he kind of fits in with that strong Panarin unit. They like playing with him and he's got 12 goals, but on occasion, David will put crafts off up there for a couple of shifts. So we've seen some juggling. Uh, the kids have been together for the last 10 games or so. Um, so again, uh, that's well above my pay grade. So I'll leave that to the coaches. I kind of figured you have a pro answer at that. <laughs> you know, hopefully we do get to see Jones at some point mm-hmm. uh, over these last 10 games. Obviously the team's still battling for a playoff spot as we speak, six points behind the Bruins who have a couple of games in hand, but I would think at some point we'll probably see him in the lineup. I was expecting them to throw him in right away just because how confident he would be coming off a national championship. I mean, I'm not going to speak for him, but he, he probably could have been partying for three or four straight days. So maybe he needed his time to adjust. <laughs> well, we'll see. You know, I know he got down to New York pretty quickly. He said he drove down, so he didn't have to uh, go through the quarantine because he drove. He didn't fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he hit the ice, uh, what, three days after winning the national championship. So uh, we'll see what develops, especially with the Truba situation. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I'm, I'm so excited to watch him. I, I, I think he's going to be super exciting. But just going back to like some of the superstars we named, Kuznetsa, Bobeshkin, um, you know, the Crosbys. Is there a certain player you'd like to see in a Ranger uniform? Like that's that's more a little bit under the radar, not necessarily a superstar, but someone that you think the Rangers could use or someone that fits this lineup. I have a couple names in mind, so I'm curious if you have a similar thought process. Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think Ranger fans would love to see some of the superstars you mentioned in a Ranger. Like Eichel? Exactly. Um, you know, through the years back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, we saw so many of the big names come to the Rangers at the end of their careers. Mm-hmm. Guys like Marcel Dion, um, even Gretzky, who was still so highly effective, played his last three years with the Rangers. Um, Lindros. You know, Lindros. Uh, so a lot of those big names have come through. Mike Gartner as well. So, um, but you know, as far as guys that are out there now, you mentioned Eichel. We've heard the some of the trade rumors and has the connection with David Quinn, uh, obviously, from BU. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. Jeff Gordon and Chris Drury and John Davidson, it's a salary cap world. They have to manage the cap. And I know right now the Rangers are well under. They've done a terrific job, uh, but they will have some guys coming up, you know, over the next few years, uh, such as Strom and Zibanejad and some of the others. And then when those young players get into their third and fourth year, they're going to wind up signing bigger contracts. So it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, how you juggle things with the cap. Uh, you know, Jacob Troop has got a big number or Panarin has a big number. Chris Kreider has a big number. So, um, you know, it's definitely a chore for all teams as far as uh, fitting that together and then working in the young players. I think the one thing the Rangers have going for them, or one of the many things is that, they have so many young players. I think it's mm-hmm. nine players, 23 or, or younger in the lineup and they're developing together and their salaries are, are, you know, low at this point from NHL standards on their first contract. So uh, we'll see how it all plays out. You know, will the Rangers make a deal during the off season? Will they be active in free agency? Uh, we'll have to wait and see you have the expansion draft, which players will they expose to the Seattle Kraken? So uh, like I said, it's a big jigsaw puzzle and uh I think so far they've done an unbelievable job. When you think back to three years ago when they sent out that letter, yeah, just think about all the assets they've accumulated, draft picks and young players since that time, and then mm-hmm. trading for Adam Fox, trading for Jacob Truba, signing Artemi Panarin as a free agent. Um, in that Rick Nash deal with Boston, they acquired Ryan Lindgren, 
uh, Ryan Spooner, who they turned into Ryan Strome. That was mm -hmm. an unbelievable deal. Yeah. And draft pick, uh, which they used for Keandre Miller. So that was a steal. Rick Nash retired after that season. Um, they also have some young defensemen in the pipeline. Mills Lundquist in Sweden, who's expected to be over here next year. Uh, Matthew Robertson playing up in Canada. Braden Schneider, who was their first round pick last year. So uh, uh, the, the coverage pretty full, you know, as far as prospects and young players and so many of the forwards are on the team right now. You know, the guys we talked about, Lafreniere and Kako and Hedl and Kravtsov. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Morgan Barron is called up at some point mm -hmm. uh, out of Cornell, who's having a real good year with the Hartford Wolfpack. Uh, he's a big centerman, so we'll see if he gets an opportunity. Uh, if not this year, then certainly in training camp next season. It's funny that you mentioned Barron because I think that's the one thing that this team is really missing is, you know, a big center, big net front presence. I know Chris Kreider has been the guy that's been in front of the net on the power play and everything. But if we got like a like these are some of the names that I had down, like a Sean Monahan, Pat Maroon or like a Corey Perry. We need someone that's like gritty in front of the net. I feel like we don't really have that right now. Right. Kreider does a great job with that. He's got 10 power play goals this year, but uh, that's not his role, though. Looking you know? forward, you know, looking forward to seeing a Morgan Barron at some point in the future as well. See what he can mm -hmm. do. Do you think Kreider will be named captain or Truba? Why do you think they haven't done that yet? You know, they haven't had a captain for a couple of years. And I know they talk about their leadership group with the guys who wear the A's, Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider, Truba. Um, you know, I'm not in the locker room, so I'm mm -hmm. not privy to watching the dynamic and how that all works. But, uh, uh, you know, they, there have been other periods in franchise history where they went this route. I remember after, after Yager left, I think there was a year or two uh, or maybe it was before Yager came in and then he was captain and then it went to Drury and Callahan and McDonough. Um, so again, I'd probably, if I were in the locker room, I'd probably feel more comfortable in, in addressing it, but not being in there, uh, you don't have that bird's eye view to how exactly the leadership group works and commands the room. Totally fair. Probably, you know, any of them would probably be good choices at some point in the future. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I heard Truba is the lead guy. You can add Fox and Lindgren in a couple of years, who knows, but yeah. It sounds like from listening to the guys that Truba has definitely stepped up and mm -hmm. taken a leadership role. You know, he talked last year about the fact that it did take him some time to get used to a new city, a new franchise. He had been in Winnipeg for five or six years and maybe didn't speak up as much last year. And he's acknowledged that. But it sounds like from talking to players and coaches and listening to their press conferences like Truba has certainly stepped up uh, in the leadership role this year. For his family, too, I heard a story that, you know, a big part of him coming to New York was that his wife wanted to be in New York. Well, I, I remember when he was in Winnipeg hearing that his wife was in medical school. Mm -hmm. There was some kind of an issue about her working in Canada versus the United States. So I don't know all the details, but uh, that was the story uh, when he played in Winnipeg, that for her career, uh, it would benefit them to be in the U.S. In, a, in an American city. Love is not dead. That is for sure. I, I thought that was like a nice little story when I, when I heard that. Um but what's been your favorite moment so far this season? Wow, this season, um, you know, I think that 9 nothing game stands out. Yeah, that was crazy. Flyers <laughs> when, when Zibanejad had the six points, all in one period, in fact, which tied mm -hmm. the record, Brian Trottier of the Islanders back in 78. Um, just watching the development, you know, watching these young kids. It's been such a different year because they're playing only the seven teams in their division. And John Davidson acknowledged this before the season when he met with the media. He said, you know, the playoffs are going to be tough. We're in a division with Boston, Pittsburgh, Washington, the Islanders, the Flyers, but we just want to continue to develop and uh, get these young kids in the lineup and get them playing. And, you know, I think the Rangers, you look at their games against Washington, Boston, Pittsburgh this year, 
they play pretty well against those top teams. They've had some big wins against the Flyers. Uh, the Islanders game last night, as we taped, this didn't go their way, but about a week and a half ago, they played them real tough. They got three out of a possible four points mm-hmm. at Nassau Coliseum. So, um, you know, overall, it, I think they've had a real good season. Uh, they're on the outside looking in six points behind the Bruins as we speak. But in this division, in this setup this year, where it's four out of eight, uh, there are going to be some pretty good teams that miss the playoffs. And they could be one of them. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully they go on a run and uh, do make it into the postseason. But I think overall, uh, development-wise, it's been a real good year. Yeah, I don't think any Ranger fans were expecting a cup this year, but get, getting to watch them a little bit in the playoffs would be a lot of fun. I know last yeah, year is just disappointing. Year, next year will be a big year. Next year will mm-hmm. be a big year for them. We'll see how things work out, what the divisions are, if they go back to what they were last year or if there's some kind of hybrid setup. But I think next year uh, is the year for them to certainly take that next step. Yeah, and I know we've talked about it previously, but you thought, if I remember correctly, you told me that you thought the Rangers could have beaten Chicago had Chicago won that Western Conference final in 2014. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? You know, I think I look at those two years. The Rangers and Chicago came so close to playing each other in the final two years in a row. Mm -hmm. Chicago loses game seven in overtime to L.A. in 14. If they had won that game on home ice, it would have been a Rangers-Chicago final. Rangers lose game seven at home the next year to Tampa. Otherwise, it would have been a Rangers-Chicago final. Those would have been fun series. Um, I thought the Rangers had the edge and goal, taking nothing away from Corey Crawford, who won two cups. But I would have stacked up Lundqvist uh, certainly favorably against Crawford in either of those series if they had played Chicago. Uh, There were similar teams with speed, uh, both so quick. Uh, Chicago had a great offensive team. Uh, You know, don't get me wrong with, with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and so many of the other superstars, but um, I, I would have given the Rangers an excellent shot either of those years against Chicago for sure. That 2015 year was so depressing. How they, they got shut out game five and game seven on home ice. Like that. And scored, what, seven goals in game six down in Tampa to keep the series alive. Yep. I think my cousin went to his first hockey game, game five of that Tampa series, and I said, never go to a Ranger game again. <laughs> and Bishop, a couple of shutouts. It was disappointing. Ryan McDonough uh couldn't play for the first 10 minutes in game seven Mm -hmm. Uh, he had the foot issue they wound up dressing seven defensemen it was still scoreless going into the third period they were 20 minutes away from the second straight stanley cup final Mm -hmm. yeah and and that i remember that backhand goal i think by like palat just squeaked through lundquist that was i think it was kalorn scored the first yeah yeah. i think scored the second it was uh it was a disappointing night for sure at the garden Mm -hmm. yeah that was tough and and just to wrap things up here tremendous run because they were down 3-1 to Washington, and then Derek Stepan yep. winds up scoring the overtime goal in Game 7. You know, a lot of people – I was thought, there. A lot of people thought they were done and wouldn't even get into the conference final that year. Yeah, it was that big Chris Kreider goal with like a minute left in Game 5. Right. That, uh, that you know, that was awesome. And then Kreider had the first goal in Game 6 in Washington. I love Kreider. Uh, big playoff goals. Yeah. I was saying this year Kreider leads – 2012, oh, when he first came up out of B.C., he joined the team against Ottawa in the playoffs, and mm-hmm. I think he had five goals that playoff year before he ever played a regular season game. I just remember that sick goal on Brodeur against the Devils that year, and then there's a really cool picture of him. Like, he leaps from, like, before the goal line into the boards. Like, that's right. the college, the college Selly jumping yep. into the glass. They don't really do that in the NHL anymore. But just to wrap things up here, the NHL is going to ESPN, which I'm super excited about. I mean, I grew up watching, you know, Bill Clement, Gary Thorne, and those guys calling NHL games on ESPN, Steve Levy. How does it work with you? I know you're tied to NBC Sports Network with hockey, but can you like transfer over to ESPN? How does that how's that working for you? Well, ESPN only has half the package. 
So okay. the other half is still to be determined. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out, uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks. So, um, you know, there's still some uncertainty uh, as to whether NBC will uh, maintain the other half, but hopefully we'll find out real soon. But mm -hmm. ESPN has half the package. It's similar to the NBA now, where Turner and ESPN share the national rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't want to lose you calling hockey games. That's that's definitely you know that'd be sad. No, you won't lose me calling hockey. Don't worry about that. Okay, that's good. But uh, Kenny, thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate this, and uh, you know we'll we'll keep in touch. All right, thanks, Johnny. Really enjoyed it. Great job, and uh, continue to watch and root for the Rangers over these next ten games, and uh, it'll continue to be a lot of fun to watch these young players and. Uh, good luck with the podcast and look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you. You're the best. I want to thank my good friend, Kenny Albert, once again, for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to him. And I mean, his knowledge is second to none as far as the NHL goes. He's been doing it for so many years and I've been listening to him my entire life. A lot of the great Ranger moments that I've watched on TV have Kenny's voice in the background. So for me to sit down and talk to him about the Rangers, obviously is a pleasure for me. And um, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed it. But I thought that was a lot of good insight into, into this Ranger season and into the future of the Rangers, because like Kenny said, next year is really that big step for the Rangers to take as far as being a Stanley Cup contender. This year, I don't think anyone really expected them to make the playoffs, and what they're doing now has been a treat. I mean, the fact that we're talking about the Rangers being four points out of a playoff spot with this young of a roster is pretty mind-boggling. I mean, my expectations coming to the season for the Rangers were not very high. I mean, I was hoping they would make the playoffs, but I didn't really think it'd be realistic with how everything was set up and COVID and the divisions. I mean, everyone said coming into it that the Rangers were in the toughest division in the entire NHL, which has shown, I mean, in other divisions, the Rangers would be in a playoff spot right now. But with the way that this division, the Mass Mutual Division works, it's just too good of a division. And, and if they can make it, you know, that'd be incredible. I think it'd be a treat, but I don't think anyone's expecting them to get past the first round. I think next year is really the year where this whole thing starts. And to think that that letter was sent out to Ranger fans three or four years ago and to see how far they've come. I mean, we've got Lafreniere, Kako, Zach Jones has looked great. He got his first NHL point last night, and he's really been a nice fill-in for Jacob Truba, who's also a key guy that we're missing right now on this on this run that we're trying to make to go to the playoffs. Jacob Truba, I think, will be the future captain, and the Rangers have played well without him, which is a great testament to them and the coaching staff. Um, but then again, back to Zach Jones, a kid who just won the national championship with UMass, one of my old schools, like Kenny mentioned. Um, he's looked great in the blue line. I think he's looked way more comfortable since his first game. First game was not great, but the Rangers did not play great as a team. They laid an egg against the Flyers. But um, on the blue line of the power play, you know, that's that's kind of the same expectations that we had for Adam Fox. I think they play a similar style, him and Zach Jones. And, you know, Jonesy is obviously a very patient, very poised, smooth skating defenseman. And I think he'll actually stay in the lineup maybe when Truba gets back. I think he's looked better than Hayek. That's just my opinion. But I think he could really be a staple in this year, in this Rangers lineup. Like I said, the schedule for the week, the Rangers got a couple games against the Islanders. That should be really exciting. The Bruins have a couple games against the Sabres. Hopefully Buffalo can steal another one. Those are just things to watch out around the league this week. I'm very excited for this upcoming week. Hopefully the Rangers can take two against the Islanders. If not, just maybe one. We need all the points we can get to make the playoffs. But like I said, I'm super excited to watch this week. So thank you guys for tuning into this episode. If you have any questions, tweet at us at Believe in Rangers, B-L-E-A-V-I-N Rangers, or send an email to believeinrangers at gmail.com. I love when you guys submit your questions, your thoughts, and I love to talk about them. I love talking about the Norris Trophy in the intro. So anything like that, just send them my way and I'll be happy to discuss them. I'll be happy to interact with you. I can read your guys' tweets on here. Whatever it is, I'm happy to discuss. I think that wraps it up for this episode and this week, though. 
We got another episode coming next Monday. Stay tuned, look out for it, and let's go Rangers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.